Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Jason Serrato, Vice President of Market Strategy at Eightfold, a talent management system and software company. Jason is a talent leader and former HR tech industry analyst with nearly 20 years of experience in the talent and people operations space. He brings his passion for organizational talent and technology into his role as Vice President of Market Strategy at Eightfold, a company he joined in 2021 following a career journey that included more than a decade with United Technologies Corporation, now Raytheon Technologies, where he was their senior director of talent acquisition, and then spent over three years at research and consulting firm Gartner, where he was their senior research director. Jason has extensive experience in talent acquisition and the relationship between talent, technology, and analytics. Jason's impact on the industry was recognized in 2021 by HR executive as he was named one of HR Tech's top 100 industry influencers. And if that wasn't impressive enough, Jason is also a colleague in the podcasting game as he is the co-host of the New Talent Code podcast which provides insight and open discussion with industry leaders on all things talent and HR tech. He's truly living and breathing his passion for all things talent and technology, and I'm excited to have Jason joining us today for a conversation about talent intelligence. Now look, organizations have access to more data than ever before, understanding their employees, their operations, and their industry at the click of a button and a few keystrokes. So how can people operations teams and business leaders take that information to make more informed strategic decisions regarding one of their most prized assets? talent. So let's get Jason introduced and we'll find out. Jason, welcome to the HR Works podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Josh. Happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. It's exciting time in the world of HR, but there's a lot of stuff going on. So a lot to talk about. There absolutely is. It's great to have you on again. Thanks for joining the podcast. We're excited to dig into a conversation with you, Jason. So let's do what we do with all of our new guests at the HR Works podcast, getting you introduced to our audience and sharing a bit of that spark moment. So what was that spark that led you to pursuing a career in talent acquisition, recruiting, and people operations? It's a great question. It's one of those things where if you think about all the twists and turns you've taken in your career, it probably hasn't been a straight line, but you can figure out how you got from there to here when you think of pivotal moments and how you were introduced or influenced. So um, I appreciate the introduction. I'm sorry you had to read through that bio, but there's there's a piece of my career that wasn't mentioned that actually was the spark. When I went off to college, I was an undergrad at Drexel University in Philadelphia, and Drexel is famous for the co-op program. And one of the requirements to graduate was that you have to do a co-op as part of your curriculum. And I was lucky enough to get a chance to do a co-op with QVC, the Home Shopping Network. They're based in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And at the time I was studying corporate communications and public relations. So I got a job in their internal communications department and I worked at their studio events department, working with the public and helping people that would come through the facility when we had live audiences to come and buy things from TV or to see the TV shows and the celebrities that were on. And one of the things was part of my job was to do um, ghostwriting of executive announcements. And I would do ghostwriting for all various executives. And one of the executives they assigned me to was the CHRO. And she needed help with a lot of the announcements and project for the annual employee engagement survey. That's great. And that was my first exposure to HR. It was kind of the melding of the world of communications and organizational philosophy and communication and technology and HR. So when I went to grad school, I actually took up 
a degree in organizational communication and technology, where all of this starts to come together. And I'm going to date myself a little bit at that time. You know, that's when we were thinking about virtual reality and avatars, right? Flash forward, we, we've come a long way and now we're talking about generative AI and we've moved well past that world, but I still find myself in this discussion, studying and learning every day about how all of these pieces come together, how we communicate with each other, how we motivate people, especially in organizations from an HR context and how we use technology both to get that done as well as the role technology plays in effectively articulating and communicating that message. I love that. Thank you for sharing that spark moment that started at QVC. Unexpected, but as you mentioned at the start, sometimes you look back and it all makes sense as you look back on that. Like, yep, that's how I got here. Okay. Indirect yeah. paths may be uh, that it all adds up. So fantastic. And it's great to have you here again today. So tell a bit more about what you're currently doing at Eightfold as again VP of Market Strategy. So as you heard, I've been in the HR function as a recruiter and as an executive leading talent acquisition, covering talent management, involved in the DE&I space, involved in leadership development programs. I also pivoted and went to become an industry analyst and wrote research and covered vendors and would advise clients and was heavily involved in a lot of transformation initiatives and change management. So I've had a bit of a hybrid career path. Again, sure. not, a, not a straight line. And when you think about what I'm doing here at Eightfold, I'm very much in a hybrid role. My official title is Vice President of Market Strategy. I sit kind of in between the marketing function, the sales function, the enablement function, the product function, and build a bridge between those areas to both translate what's going on in the market and what's going on with our customers internally to our organization as well as translate what we're working on here at Eightfold externally to the market and to our customers. You're as flexible as they come. Well, it's one of these things around, you know, when you look back on it, it all makes sense. But when you're going through it, it doesn't make sense at the time. But of course, this is where I would end up. It's almost as if I was born to do this. That is fantastic. Well, look, Jason, as we're entering into early 2024, because we're having this conversation toward the end of January, it's a great time for us to look at what's coming and where we currently are in the marketplace. As someone who's done so much research and analytics on the talent marketplace through your career path and just with what your current role is at Eightfold, how would you describe the talent marketplace in early 2024? What have we learned about the current talent pool? I think we're in a state of transformation. And as a result, there's both some positive things occurring and some negative things occurring. And it is turbulent. It may depend on your time and career. It may depend on your industry. It may depend on your geography but we are going through a revolution. So if you think about it, we just finished 2023. 2023 was our second straight year with an average unemployment rate below 4% for the year. Right. That's something we haven't seen in over 50 years. But at the same time, here we are in 2024, and there's already been close to 50 layoffs in the month of January. So there's a lot of good talent on the sidelines, but there's low unemployment rate, but everyone's looking for talent, but there's people looking for work. So what really is going on is the nature of the way we're getting work done, the tools we're using to accomplish that work, and the skills and roles that organizations need today are changing right in front of our eyes. So one of the things that's happening is there's fewer opportunities for people that are out there looking for work because organizations are scrutinizing their roles and their openings because they're trying to really determine exactly what do we need going forward. We've just gone through 2023, which could be encapsulated as the year of chat GPT and generative AI. 
And people are still trying to figure this out to understand, well, what work can we automate? What work do we still need to invest in? What work do we not see yet on the horizon, but we know that horizon is approaching faster and faster. So depending on where you sit, what you're looking at, you can see both good news and bad news, but it's because we're in the middle of a significant transformation. I love that connection, where we are with the talent marketplace and how technology has influenced so much of that. You think of where we've come in the last year. I mean, gosh, I remember having conversations in mid-2023, trying to still understand what ChatGPT was to where we are now, again, in early 2024. We've got a good handle on what ChatGPT is. A lot of HR practitioners are finding ways to use ChatGPT to help them in their roles. But I think more broadly speaking, as you mentioned, we're still learning, okay, how do we use ChatGPT? How does AI work into the workforce? It's really interesting to hear how much of an impact that is having across the talent marketplace. Couple that with, we're still seeing significant layoffs come through where there's a lot of talent out in the market so that those roles that do open up, now you're seeing an influx and a flood of applicants. It's creating this real push and pull within the marketplace. It's a real challenge that's facing hiring teams. What are some of those other challenges that we're seeing hiring teams dealing with right now? So I think there's a variety of things. And it's never been more exciting to be in HR, but it's never been more challenging to be in HR at the same sure. time. I think we have recruiters and HR managers and hiring managers that are trying to understand what they need at the same time, trying to understand the talent they have, but also a lot of the tools and data they would normally use to have these decisions and to develop these strategies aren't as reliable as they once were, right? We're changing and transforming and the world of work is moving right in front of our eyes. So the way you did this job yesterday is less and less how you're going to do this job tomorrow. And if you're a recruiter trying to fill an open role, often you would go to the hiring manager and say, tell me what you need. Right. What's the, what's the job description? What are the skills? Well, how that hiring manager did that job before they became a manager is not how this new employee is going to do that job. So the hiring manager is less and less of a reliable source. And now you have to use a variety of data points, a variety of insights, a variety of intelligence to really be more nimble to understand, well, let's think beyond the job title and think beyond the job description and think beyond how we've historically done this. And let's look at the actual work that's involved. And if we understand the work that's involved, well, what are the tasks and what are the skills that are required? And if we get down at that level a little bit more granular, then maybe we can open up the audience for who could be considered for this. And once we understand that, maybe they're already here and they're right in front of us and we didn't know it. You know, oftentimes when you're looking to address some of these challenges, everyone moves towards, well, let's hire someone, right? right. Let's, it, it's easy to just open up a requisition. It's a, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. So we keep hiring and hiring. And that's also why we have layoffs at the same time. I think people are trying to understand how do we better know our talent while better understanding our industry to better prepare for tomorrow. Yeah, we're burning so much bandwidth looking for new talent. And oftentimes I think teams are realizing we've got great talent on our team already. And how do we utilize and smartly position those talented members, upskill them if needed to fill those needs, but then also creatively opening up talent pipelines when you need to. It's really been interesting to see as well is, is teams looking beyond just that old blueprint. The blueprint's gone in the shredder at this point. Yeah. A lot of the, how we did things has become irrelevant as teams are really rethinking, okay, how do we want to be setting up these positions? But it's not just that. It's that the actual business they're serving is changing too. Right. There's a lot of organizations that have pivoted into new areas to deliver a broader set of products to their customers or to deliver in a new way. 
or to go into an entirely different market or to start to move over into a different industry. So it's not just the way we work is changing. The work we're being asked to do is changing. Right. And in many cases, our history isn't as valuable to us as our future becomes unknown. Oh, the, the COVID stretch certainly forced some creativity and it's creating a lot of teams to rethink their business models. And as you said, the work we're doing going forward, really interesting to look at. So with that, a lot of the work that your team is currently doing at 8Bold is focused around talent intelligence. And that was something that we wanted to bring you on here today to really dig into in that challenging marketplace that we're looking at with a lot of organizations, understanding talent, understanding the talent you have and the talent you need. He walk us through the basics of talent intelligence. What is talent intelligence and how is talent intelligence gathered? It's a great question. Um, I, I look at it as a three-legged stool and it's powered by the ability that we have with AI applied to the wide array of data we have in HR, especially with, throughout the talent lifecycle. So if you think about it as this kind of three-legged stool analogy, the first part is you need to know what's happening in your industry and beyond your organization to have a broader perspective and some competitive insight. So the first part is you need to expand your horizon and open up your view and incorporate a lot of labor market intelligence and industry insights into this data set. The second piece is you need to be able to examine your existing organization and use AI to uncover some of those data relationships and some of those skill clusters and make sense of the wide swaths of data that historically have resided in Excel spreadsheets or in disparate siloed systems. So the second leg of the stool is how do we better know our organization much faster and in real time? And then the third leg of the stool is how do we learn from how we're operating in real time in the moment? So it's kind of this combination of competitive and industry data beyond your organization, understanding your organization in real time without a lot of spreadsheet heroism and shortening the cycles it takes to gather insights and intelligence, and then the ability to learn from your operations and the decisions you're making and the work that your employees are doing in a system that's powered by talent intelligence in real time. So that way you put those kind of three legs of the stool together to make decisions with more informed context. And the way I kind of describe it is, it's kind of like what happened in manufacturing with the Internet of Things. The Internet right. of Things, we were putting IP addresses and all these products and we were collecting data through the life cycle of the product. And now as a manufacturing organization, you understood all the different key points in that experience of that product, how you manufacture it, how you build it, how you package it, how you deliver it, how you service it, how you depot it once it's done. Well, the same thing happened in the healthcare industry when we took medical records and put them online, right? We're now able to take that data and make more sense of it by capturing relationships amongst disparate data that sat in manila folders on a shelf somewhere, right? We're now doing the same thing with employee data and talent lifecycle data using AI and an understanding of skills to be able to make more informed decisions in real time with context and understanding that give us a greater sense of agility to potentially hit a future target. That's fantastic. So let's talk about some of those decisions that HR teams can make through talent intelligence. So many teams at this moment are looking at their tech stack, trying to analyze, okay, what do we need to integrate? What do we need to add into our tech stack for 2024? Why is talent intelligence crucial? And what are some of those decisions that can be made through talent intelligence for HR teams? I think it's crucial because it acts as a layer 
that can inform and educate some of the other products and processes that happen throughout the tech stack and throughout the lifecycle. So you can use this to start your process to inform and understand and explore what's happening in your world to then create some sense of truth, which you can then organize and standardize potentially in a system of record to operate for today, but then also take that information and bring it back to execute on what you're going to need for tomorrow. So again, it becomes this reading and reacting to the environment in real time to start to govern data instead of just managing data and look at what it's telling you and how close it is to 100% accuracy, where once it gets to a certain level of accuracy, there's value in it, even if it's not 100% known yet. Sure. We, you know, HR has always been working from a place of everything perfect and everything known and everything had to be buttoned up and I's dotted and T's crossed, and that's fine and there's value in it. But part of this is also, how do you read and react in real time to make quick decisions or at least be able to predict what you're going to need next? And this is a tool that's getting us closer and closer to 100% accuracy by using AI and skills understanding and operational information to be able to make more accurate predictions in context. So comprehensively as a layer inside of other tools that reside in the tech stack and in the talent lifecycle, you can use this technology to inform what you're doing, to learn from what you're doing, and to eventually standardize what you're doing, but shorten up the cycles of those updates when you're looking to kind of build the truth. Yeah, in a world where employee experience is paramount right now, when you can cut through and hit on topics, hit on workflows that matter, that really resonate with employees, instead of throwing something against the wall and hoping it sticks, you can use your analytics to really cut through it and do what matters for employees and identify what matters and connect. Well, you also mentioned another key part there. It's not just the benefit to the organization. Talent intelligence becomes a win-win for the employee. Sure. Or the, or the applicant or the candidate or the contractor or all the different settings and audience where you can apply talent intelligence. Yeah. Because what it also affords is it affords the ability to create greater awareness of how I as an employee fit into this organization. How do my skills map to a variety of futures, right? It's not just a career ladder that was drawn up and static on a paper or on website or in a PowerPoint. It's using real-time understanding of skills and mapping to unveil to me the future I have with this organization, right? And that isn't easy. And that's why we get people with that, you know, they leave because they don't have an opportunity to grow when it turns out they really did. It just wasn't visible to them or they didn't right. understand how it fit. And the other part about it is you're able to do this continuously and dynamically. So it's updating moment to moment. So I like the introduction of this conversation where you talked about all of these moments in my career that pushed me in one direction or the other. You know, we're able to now have explainable AI that surfaces data to people in real time to help them see what's over to the left, what's over to the right, what happens if you go in this direction, where have people that were in this same scenario gone ahead of you and how do you compare to that? So yeah. it's a win-win for for all parties because you're making sense of the information in the moment. Yeah, that is great. So what are the metrics that matter for HR professionals right now? When you have access to all this data, all this information, what are the metrics that in 2024 matter for HR professionals? I think in the HR space, we often cart out a lot of the same metrics, time to fill, quality of hire, right? They're all important. They're things to measure, but we've moved well beyond. We are now talking about unlocking capability 
We are talking about the ability to respond to work and deliver to a project and generate revenue and how quickly are we delivering to the business and how much are we optimizing and fully taking advantage of talent that's already within our four walls, whether they be real or virtual, right? How are we shortening the cycle times? How are we maximizing the value that someone's doing for our organization? How are we maximizing the value of what that person wants to do in their career? So, you know, it's one of these things where not only are we transforming processes, we need to try to change how we measure what success looks like. And a great example is if you think about in the recruiting world, we often look at traffic, how many visits, how many clicks, how much traffic, right? And we look at traffic as a measure of success. Well, in an AI driven world with explainable AI, you're actually doing the opposite. You're trying to reduce traffic because you don't need repeat visits to explain to someone how they map to an organization or which opportunities they should apply for. So in a former world where they would have to visit six or seven times to understand how they align to an organization, now maybe they can only visit once and they already know, well, this is where I fit. These are the opportunities that map to me. So, you know, someone may look at the metrics and if you look at it through a historical lens, oh, this isn't working because my traffic is going down where it's actually working because right. it's al aligning talent upon the first visit. So one of the things that we see is some of these metrics around visitor conversion go up significantly. Some of these metrics around who is applying get impact significantly when you have explainable AI that actually builds confidence in someone that they're applying for the right opportunity because here's how the skills map. I love that. It's not that there are new metrics. It's just rethinking how we use the metrics and what you want as the outcome. That's brilliant. Again, looking for more efficiencies with teams, that's certainly something that can resonate across the board. Now, as we're looking at tech stack, again, there's plenty of opportunities and advantages for HR teams to invest, but to really get that investment, especially as you're looking at talent intelligence tools and platforms, you've got to get that buy-in from the C-suite. So how do we connect to the C-suite here? What are those major concerns of executive leaders that can be addressed by talent intelligence? So I think there's a couple of ways to this. And one of the ways is as we're building out new metrics for HR, they shouldn't be just for HR sake. We should be tying the work that we're doing in HR to the business, right? How are we impacting revenue generation? How are we impacting organic growth? How are we impacting time to deliver, right? Not time to fill, time to deliver. Speed to productivity, right? Speed to contribution. So I think that's a, a big part of this. But I also think we need to better tell the story through the lens of these key stakeholders. So what does this mean from a finance perspective? What does this mean from a CIO perspective or a CEO perspective? How am I making better use of the resources I've already invested in? How am I retaining my talent and developing them and growing them so that I'm not always going through these cycles of hiring and firing and hiring and firing, trying to get the right talent in the door? And I think part of this is using the data to tell a story through the framework of what's important to the business, not just what's important to HR. Well, it's knowing your audience too, right? So depending on which executive you're speaking to, tailoring that conversation, okay, where does this benefit you? How can this help? Whether you're the chief financial officer, the chief marketing officer, or the CEO, and really tailoring, again, the data that you want to highlight that can benefit their business need and really be a clear win from their perspective, but ultimately helping the entire workforce. Yeah, I think, you know, in HR, I've been in the space long enough where people used to be rewarded for their ability to gather the data. And like I said, there were a lot of people who built their career on being spreadsheet heroes, right? What AI does is it takes that off the plate. And now it's, what do you do with it? 
Right. right. You use the phrase data rich and information poor. Like how do you turn it into insight? How do you provide value? How do you align your approach from an HR strategy to the results of a business strategy? And I think one of the things that something like talent intelligence allows you to do is it allows you to use that kind of three-legged stool approach to take a more comprehensive view, to try to hit a moving target that's ahead of you in the future by tracking a moving target that is your workforce and your talent right. audience in your organization today. So it's really only by having an AI-supported process where you're getting more granular, understanding work and tasks and skills that you're able to do this and try to generate that talent agility. And one of my former colleagues at Gartner uses the phrase, business agility is talent agility. And talent agility like isn't just the ability to go quickly, it's the ability to change direction. Yeah, that makes total sense. I love that you brought in that data-rich, information-poor concept drip. It's so easy to gather data right now. You've got endless data at our fingertips, but it's the teams that have figured out how to do something with that data and actually put it into practice that are winning right now. How can teams overcome that challenge to just be stuck in piles of data and not knowing what to do with it? What are those steps to really get teams to put it into practice? So again, I think one of them is changing the mindset and allowing the technology to do what it's designed to do. For example, a lot of projects in this space, especially around talent intelligence, start out with, we need to do skills taxonomies and skills ontologies, and we need to do skill mapping, and we need to organize and rationalize our skills if we're pulling them from multiple sources, which everyone is. But a lot of that is still done manually over time, and a lot of that is mapped to jobs historically versus combining that with pulling information from profiles and talent and the work that's being done in real time and understanding what's happening in the work someone's doing in context. I mean, the job title and the job description I applied for is much different from the work I'm doing every day. And if you're using a lot of HR systems for how this was done historically, you know the job title and the level and the description. You may not know the tasks and the, and the work and the skills. So part of this is shifting that mindset to do that. And then at the same time, really applying this capability to say, let me start to observe what the technology is doing and what the AI is telling me. So how do I resist the urge to try to control the data and steer the data and map and tag everything to get the result I want to show? And how do I then shift it over to governing the data and allowing the AI to surface some of the relationships and some of the insights and some of the things it uncovers that I may not have uncovered on my own. And that's one of the things that a lot of Eightfold customers are telling us, that when they look at what the AI tells them, they get a, a wealth of information and a variety of insights beyond how they were tracking this before, but also generating outcomes and conclusions they would not have seen through their more traditional frameworks of how they would have got this done. So it's shifting the mindset of how you measure it. It's shifting the mindset of how you apply it and how frequently this becomes, right? It's not an annual or a cyclical thing anymore. It now becomes continuous, but it's also now governing the data and learning from what the technology is surfacing rather than managing and steering the data and driving it to the outcome you're trying to show. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I love what you said there, Jason, in terms of shifting the mindset. It's really interesting that I'd mentioned about this time last year, we were talking about AI with a lot of us with fear of AI. Now we've shifted that mindset to start looking at how do we function with AI? How do you use AI 
to help us going forward. And that's been that shifting of the mindset. And that same piece applies here as you're looking at talent intelligence, you're looking at all the data you have, shifting that mindset. It's a new path that you're carving with this new tool of AI and, and really, again, finding the function of AI as opposed to the fear. Yeah. And it's not just AI for AI's sake, right? right. The, the, those two letters, that abbreviation, those two words get thrown around interchangeably as if all AI is the same. It's not. How is the technology designed? How is it explainable? Can you see it through the decision-making process? What data is used? What outcome is generated? So I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to in 2024 is we're shifting from technologies about AI for AI's sake to really now focusing on the outcomes and the work that's done with AI as a tool versus AI as this shiny new object. Yeah, so that's a collective mindset shift. If I've ever seen one, certainly. And that's across the board. Multiple industries are, are experiencing that shift now in, in how we use AI. That's brilliant. Yeah, thank you for that, Jason. Now, thinking about that conversation with C-suite executives to get that buy-in, sometimes that first step is the hardest. So do you have any recommendations for HR teams who want to have in that conversation of using talent intelligence tools with their C-suite? Where do you start? How do you have that initial conversation of buy-in? So I think, you know, this is something that's come up from a couple analysts in this space, and I agree with their positioning on it. It really is about truly identifying the problem you're trying to solve and then figuring out the tools you're going to use to apply to solving that problem. And if you can articulate that problem and storyboard that problem with storytelling using data, you can, you can more confidently and compellingly inform the C-suite of how the strategy that you're proposing will help drive this solution. So for example, from a skills perspective, we're now having conversations around strategic workforce planning and, and talent planning and upskilling and, and reskilling and redeployment. And people are trying to figure out do they build, buy, borrow, or with automation, do they bot, right? So those are the four Bs. Or there's another one that's the four Rs, and it's, you know, recruit, retain, redeploy, and redesign, right? And, uh, you know, part of this is you need to understand what exactly is the shape of your organization compared to your industry? How are you comparatively to your peers to understand, you know, is this something that you can recruit your way out of? Probably not. Is it a retention discussion? That's probably a piece of it. Is it truly reskilling and upskilling? Well, you have to know your individuals and your people better, and you have to know skill adjacencies and learnability. But a big part of this is also redesign. And, you know, first part is gathering the intelligence and understanding the capabilities of the tool, but then formulating the strategy and tying it to business outcomes, right? So are we pivoting into a new industry and we have to reskill and redeploy, right? Are we trying to be more competitive with our peers and we have to recruit and we have to figure out new ways to compete for the same talent, right? Or do we have, uh, you know, an issue with retention and we have to truly understand the skills our people have and the skills they want to develop and how they map to the future where we're headed as an organization. When you can utilize the data to have a solution, it doesn't have to be the solve right there, but at least have a pathway to the solution. That's a great way to cut through and get that buy-in, get that attention from your C-suite, from executives who will ultimately help invest and lean on that talent intelligence that can help not just the HR team, but the organization. And you're able to frame it in a way that resonates with right. what they're, they're right. assigned to, right? How, how does this impact the CFO, right? Yeah. How does this impact the CIO? How does this impact the CEO? 
So you're then able to articulate and build a story that lands where they live and how HR as a function is going to help them deliver for their objectives. Yeah. When we're having conversations with HR professionals about corporate culture, about the employee experience, so often we talk about know your audience. Same rules apply here when you're communicating to the C-suite, to executives to really engage in and encourage that buy-in to talent intelligence. Know your audience and really speak to what matters to them. And those same rules apply there. That, that's great. So again, we're here with Jason Serrano, Vice President of Market Strategy at 8Bold. Jason, as we're now looking at going into 2024, it's a great time to provide some advice for our audience of HR professionals. If you had to pick one thing for HR and talent teams to start doing and one thing for HR and talent teams to stop doing this year in their use of technology, what would it be? So I think we already touched on it a little bit, but one of the things that I was always advised, especially when I was an analyst, is organizations truly need to understand what problem they're trying to solve. And as they're looking for solutions and examining their tech stack and building out strategies, they need to build with the end in mind, right? You can't boil the ocean. You can't do everything all at once. You may not have the budget, or even if you do, it's probably a multi-year deployment and rollout. And we also like to do things in pilots and test cases. But at the end of the day, you should be operating more in a systemic, collaborative, comprehensive way that's building towards some ultimate end in the future. So in the past, it was always easy to go quick on your own and do a pilot or stand something up for one location or for one department or for one business line, or just because we had this much funding and that's all we could get done. What I saw happening over my career is when those things are successful, they're successful in small slices and only small you know, organizations and groups were involved. So not everybody knew about it and it, it's hard to scale and it's hard to get momentum. And you end up with what I refer to as these islands of excellence and these deserts of despair, right? You have these areas where this new thing was implemented and it worked to great success, but no one else has it or no one else heard about it to jump in and support. So I always say you want to build with the end in mind, even if you're starting small or breaking it up into pieces or doing a pilot, it should all be elements and building blocks to some bigger picture. In terms of what should they stop doing? we talked about it a little bit, is they need to stop bringing how they do it into the future and just modernizing how they've always done it instead of starting to build a new way forward, right? We have new capability. We have new tools. We're working in new ways, remote, hybrid, asynchronous, right? There's all these new things that are brand new, generative AI, all of these new capabilities, and you're not going to get the most ROI for your investment if you're just modernizing an old process, it really is time to rethink what you're trying to solve, how you're going to measure it, what does success look like, what is important, how do we think beyond HR, who are the true customers of this initiative, and start to build a new way forward. Yeah, it doesn't have to necessarily be a blank canvas, but you should clear most of that off. It should be pretty open to rethinking the strategy of where you want to get to that end goal. I love that, Jason. That's great. So again, Jason Serrato, Vice President of Market Strategy at 8Bold. Jason, do you have anything you're excited about coming up with 8Bold? Anything you want to share with our audience in terms of what you're working on with 8Bold? Uh, now's a great opportunity to share that with our audience here. Feel free to plug anything you've got going on. So I've touched on it a little bit. You know, We have an offering that we refer to as talent design, which helps organizations build out or enhance or inform their skills taxonomy and their skills ontology with what we refer to as our Eightfold Dynamic Skills Framework. And this helps balance 
the sources of data beyond just information around jobs to information from profiles and from people doing the work in real time. So you're expanding the view and expanding the picture of what's actually happening in your organization and in the world around you. So we're very excited about talent design. It kind of sits at the center of our offering. And as you grow with talent design, one of the next capabilities that we announced last spring is this ability to do what we refer to as talent planning, which is an element of strategic workforce planning. So often in organizations, they'll engage in strategic workforce planning, which is around headcount and budget and cadence and delivery schedule and where does it sit and is it a full-time employee and those type of conversations. And that strategic workforce planning often results in numbers on a spreadsheet. What our talent planning allows them to do is to use that information as an input to then map it to their talent from a skills perspective to say, if I needed to execute on this strategy, what talent do I already have in my organization that aligns to this future that I'm planning for? So everything isn't starting with a requisition. It could be, let's see who's already on an upskilling plan that could be considered for these roles that we're going to add in the future, or who's not on an upskilling plan, but has adjacent skills that if we just introduce this opportunity to them, they would open up a whole new career path. Or who's in our existing talent network that if we had to recruit for this today, we've already met and already touched. So we're not starting the race at the beginning of the race. So we're really excited about how, how talent design sits in the Eightfold Talent Intelligence platform and then what you're able to do with it with talent planning. Because then the other piece about it is that starts to proliferate and populate all the other things we do with talent acquisition and talent management and the contingent workforce and resource management. So as a layer powered by our AI engine with skills intelligence, we definitely have a lot going on here. Absolutely. That's the jumping off point. That's brilliant. For anyone that wants to learn more about the possibilities with Eightfold, where can we send them? So you have our website, eightfold.ai. We have demo sessions where you can opt in for a live demo where we do it in groups on a monthly basis, or you can register for your own specific demo if you want to do something for your organization. But please take a look. We also have a variety of resources in our talent intelligence library, case studies, videos, webinars that are recorded on demand, and a shameless plug or shameful plug here. We also have the New Talent Code podcast. There you go. No shame in that plug at all. We will certainly provide links to 8bold.ai and, and, and all that great content that's available through 8bold. Jason, let's lean in a little more on that shameless plug for the New Talent Code podcast. What can our listeners take away? What do you want to share with them about the New Talent Code podcast? Maybe where they can find that. So you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Okay. We're on Apple, Spotify, anywhere that the podcast can be found these days. We also publish it through our Eightfold channel on LinkedIn and uh, various social media channels. What we do is we seek out talent leaders in organizations that have adopted talent intelligence or industry analysts that have been advising what's happening in this category to talk about how the world of work is changing and how you need to approach it differently. That's why we named the podcast, The New Talent Code, right? The tools you're going to use, the processes and practices and strategies are now entirely different and you can't rely on how you got here historically. So we build out conversations with a variety of leaders across a variety of industries of how they need to think differently, how they need to manage differently, and how they need to operate differently. And we share a lot of best practices with our listeners. 
That's fantastic. Well, I will certainly be checking that one out. I encourage our, our audience to do the same, supporting our fellow podcasters out there at Rising Tide Lifts All Boats. So it's great to hear that, again, you got the new Talent Code podcast going strong there. We'll make it nice and easy for our listeners to check that one out for you. Now, again, we're here with Jason Serrato, Vice President of Market Strategy at 8Bold. Jason, before we let you go, let's just talk a little bit more about your career and share a bit more of your career journey here. So what's something you've learned about yourself over the past few years that you think has made you a better leader? If you have the opportunity to lead people, it's an honor and a privilege, and it's not about you. It's about what you're able to do to empower your team and help champion your team and help them grow in their career. And like you said, a rising tide lifts all boats. If you're successful in doing it, you'll be better for it. So I've been both the leader of a very large department, and uh, I've also been an individual contributor. So I'll also say you don't have to have a leadership role to be a leader. Right. The other thing I've learned in my career is I believe in, a, in something called leadership at every level, right? And it's how you prepare for conversations, how you study your business, how you carry yourself, how you communicate with others goes a long way in demonstrating leadership without having the opportunity to be a leader or before you ever get the opportunity to lead people. So I do believe in that. I think once you're in the chair, you know, if you're building a team, one of the things that I've often found was most successful, I try to find people that complement and enhance each other and also are great at things that I know myself I'm not very good at. So one of the things about I feel about being a good leader is to know your own strengths and weaknesses and then build a team around how you can complement that to get the work done. And then as you're working to develop people, give them room and opportunity to grow, uh, but do it safely. So I've often given people different waves or staggered steps of growth where I've let them go and given them ownership, but right. also done it in a safe way where they weren't going to hurt the project or hurt the company or hurt their career. And then once they've proven that workout, then let's go to the next step and give you a bigger project with bigger exposure and more budget and more at stake. So it's, it's great to give people room and opportunity, but do it safely. I love that, Jason. Thank you for sharing that. What sticks out to me, it's humility really makes such a great leader when you can really admit where you've got team members who can help, who can take on tasks, who may be able to do things and know things that you don't know or don't do as well. Sometimes that's hard to do, especially rising up to a leadership position, but you need some humility in there to lean on your team and really not try to do it all yourself. I love that. Now, Jason, you gave some great advice here. I love sharing advice with our audience and really trying to pay it forward. So if you could pay it forward with some great professional advice that you've leaned on throughout your career and pass that along to our audience of HR professionals, what's a great piece of advice that you've leaned on? It's a great question. I've had numerous mentors, whether they were known or I didn't tell them they were a mentor, but I observed them from afar and studied everything they've done. So when you ask me this question, there's a lot that comes to mind. But if I boil it down to some of the things that really stood out and helped me in my career. Um, it's not enough to know how to do your job in HR. If you're an HR manager or you're a recruiter or you're a benefits specialist or you're in compensation, it's not enough to be really good at that. You really have to know the business that you support and how your organization makes money and how your role ties to the business. So that way, how the work you're doing supports the business where you sit it's not enough to be good at your job. You have to be good at your job in your company. And then if you open that up a little broader, in your industry. And over the course of my career, one of the pieces of feedback I often received was they're like, Jason, wow, you really know the business 
you, you speak to what we do and what we make and how we deliver to customers in a way I haven't heard many other HR people able to do. So I think it's something that's helped me um, stand out, but it was also something that was um, shared with me very early on in my career. Another one that I love, I grew up in an environment where there was this philosophy of completed staff work, right? Try to study and do due diligence and prepare for any question that could possibly come. But then when you get the moment to share and deliver, try to be very clear and concise. And the way the person phrased it to me was, you need to be prepared, but act like an accordion. And I thought that was funny. What do you mean act like an accordion? And they're like, be clear and concise and short and to the point. But if someone pulls on you, be ready to expand. I like that. I've got a bonus piece of advice there. That's brilliant. Thank you for that, Jason. There you go. Two, two for one. Buy one, get one free. But fantastic. But that's a great deal to send our audience out on. So I appreciate you doing that for us, Jason. One last bonus question. And this is where I love to cap out all of my interviews with. And it's all about motivation. So you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor. What's the one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? Building something better for tomorrow. Okay. So that's one of my favorite interview questions. When I'm interviewing people, I always ask, what, what wakes you up before the alarm clock? Right. This morning I set yeah. my alarm clock, but I woke up before it. Right. What is it that gets you out of bed and gets you ready to tackle the day? And the big thing for me is the work. Right. Doing the right work to the best of my ability in a way where when I look back on Friday, I'm in a different place than I was on Monday. And when I look in February, I'm in a different place than I was in January. And one of the things that I've always done over the course of my career, um, many of you out here listening are probably going through your annual performance review right now. It's that time of year. Like one of the things I've always done when I sat down with my manager, I've put together a booklet of all the work that I've done over the course of the year, almost like an annual report or an annual sure. record. And I try to say, here's where we started. Here's where we finished. Here's all the things that I've done, whether you were able to pay attention to them or not, but here's kind of the chronology. And being able to see that and see it come to life and trust that you did the work to the best of your ability, the best you could do is what gets me up before the alarm clock. I love that. You're building your portfolio every day and you love doing the work and that brings passion and that certainly shows through in this conversation here. So Jason, again, thank you so much for just your time, your insight, just sharing so much, not even just about talent intelligence and how vital that can be for HR teams in 2024, which is great. Giving us some great insight and some great advice. Uh, for being better people leaders. So again, Jason Serrato, Vice President of Market Strategy at Eightfold. Thank you so much for being on the HR Works podcast. As I say with all of our guests, we'd love to have you back. We got to get you back to keep the conversation going. But for our first one, this was a great one. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the HR Works podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.